0: Hi everyone, and welcome to For Fact's Sake, the ferrets podcast about misinformation and fact checking. As always, I am your host, Ali Bryan, and with me is the CEO of Sound, Paul Dobson.
1: That sort of works. Does that yeah. work? Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like it has to have the same first letter, but no, it's audio, is,
0: so it's all about the sound of the this words. This
1: is the truth. This is true. Yeah, this is true.
0: How are you getting on, Ali? I'm doing very well. It's an unse- it's, I'd say it's getting seasonably hot. Yeah. But it's, it's ungeographically hot yeah. in uh, Glasgow at the moment, which is where I am based. Um, but yeah, we soldier on and we've got uh, an amazing podcast to uh, delight the ears of our listeners.
1: That's right. Who have we got coming up, Ali?
0: We have an interview with vice journalist David Gilbert. Um, Long-time listeners might remember him as a guest on one of our first-ever episodes a few years back. Um, And he's telling us all about what's happened to Twitter since Elon Musk's takeover. So we'll be going through um, what's happened to the the sort of people using Twitter, the misinformation that's now on Twitter, and how Elon Musk himself has dealt with the challenge of uh, becoming the person in charge.
1: That's right, a very big topic but a very interesting conversation with David. We're also looking at the controversy around Scotland's new highly protected marine areas and we're looking into some misinformation about Sadiq Khan and a potential health condition he had at COP26. Shall we get into it Ali?
0: Let's do it.
2: I'm David Gilbert, I'm a senior reporter with Vice News and I cover disinformation, extremism and conspiracy theories online.
0: Excellent. We're here today to talk about um, one of the main uh, vectors of conspiracy theories online at the moment, um, Twitter, and most uh, notably uh, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. Um, Just to give us a sort of flavour, a starting point, could you give us a sense of the kind of state of play regarding disinformation on Twitter today compared to before Musk's takeover?
2: It's like nice and day, really. Like Twitter was never amazing, just like every other social network. Really, is you know they all struggle to a greater or lesser degree with getting rid of disinformation. But Twitter had worked relatively hard to to clap, you know, to rid itself of disinformation. It had removed major um, influencers in that area, including Donald Trump, um, and. It had done this despite the fact that it was probably damaging It's the amount of people that were using the platform. A lot of people, especially in the right, had moved to alternative platforms like Parler and Gab and through Social, Trump's own own social network. Um, but it had been, you know, slowly making progress over the years. It had signed up to the EU's Code of Conduct uh, under the Digital Services Act. It had, you know, made promises. It had invested in, in disinformation. And then... Musk took over and basically eroded all that within a matter of hours, days, weeks. He fired most of the team, or pretty much all the team in fact now, that was working on fighting disinformation. He um, cut all the people who were humanly curating reports about disinformation. He, and then, once he had done that, he then decided to reintroduce all the people who were major spreaders of disinformation in the first place. gave them their accounts back. Mm-hmm. They all thanked him by applying for their their blue check marks and paying him money. And then, finally, he decided that that wasn't enough. So he decided that he himself would would boost uh, anti-Semitic, anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ. Uh, hate speech and push that himself because he is the number one twitter user he's got 120 plus million followers and so he decided that he would then push these conspiracy theories as well so yeah he's done a pretty remarkable job at undermining everything that had been done over the course of the last decade on twitter to to try and tackle disinformation and has single-handedly you know reversed all that completely and more gone in the other direction
0: wow uh, <laughs> that's a damning indictment to start with
1: yeah i think as you've alluded to there one of the big fears as musk was sort of launching his takeover bid was that far-right groups were going to be massively emboldened if he sort of took over twitter and it sounds like from what you're saying there that, that has been the case so i wondered if you could maybe outline some of the ways that these groups have been emboldened and some of the some of the rhetoric that you can see on Twitter now that you could maybe not see before.
2: Sure, like, I suppose it was always there to an extent, but much more using coded language and dog whistles, whereas Mm. over the course of the last six months, that has kind of eroded, and now they're just openly being anti-Semitic, anti-LGBTQ, anti-woke, anti... anti You know, they kind of go... Pile on us openly. They 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 don't feel afraid of saying things that they shouldn't say, Um, and like so far right groups, whether it's Proud Boys or other militias or um, just hate groups, are openly back on Twitter. If you go onto Twitter today, you log on. They are the accounts. They are that is the type of content that you will see front and center on the account if you open up the it's split into following and for you feeds now and if you go to the for you feed which is the more algorithmic feed you will see these blue check marks for the most part because if you pay musk money he will put you at the top of the feed no matter what hateful speech you are spewing and he is and that that so is your window into the world and it's just it's it's horrible it's horrific you know it's it's depressing um but that's what twitter has turned into today
1: yes so you mentioned this sort of for you and following um i don't know what you call them channels or tabs um does that mean that twitter's own algorithms are now promoting if not far right content explicitly more extreme content than it was before
2: Oh, without a doubt, because it is, they've openly said that they are promoting people who will pay for Twitter Blue, which is the verification system that they have. And the only people who are playing paying for those blue check marks are people who align with Musk's um, ideology in terms of what he is promoting on the site himself. So that is far right, the far right agenda. Um, so if you open up on the, there's two feeds now you can, Go to following and that's just the people you follow and that's um uh you know it's it's based on the most recent tweets from the people you follow and then you go to the for you feed and it automatically switches back every time you close if you're looking at on a browser if you reopen the browser it switches back to to the for you feed although that seems to be changing on a daily basis so who knows what's happening today but what they have been doing is that they will automatically revert you to the for you feed which means you're seeing people who you don't follow and in that feed you're seeing the people the people who are being promoted in that feed are the ones who um are spreading the most hateful content on twitter
0: so given the way that the feed's working now is that linked to the way that the blue check system is working now because um obviously before verification was was Well, it was quite an opaque process, you could say, but yeah. it seemingly, the accounts were given verification initially to avoid, to, to prove that they were the correct, if they were a notable account, that they were the correct one. But also it gave people a level of, like, authority that you knew this was a, wasn't a troll account, wasn't a fake account. So what's the state of play now?
2: Yeah, like, the, as you said, the, the Twitter verification system wasn't perfect because it was... It, People were really unsure about how it worked. Mm. It was kind of happened in the background, and you know, mostly lots of journalists would get it, um, uh, media organizations, experts in their field, people who had built up a bank of knowledge on a certain area um, and were seen as a verifiable source of information were given blue check marks. Mm. That was all like after repeated claims that he was going to take all those blue check marks away he actually went ahead and did this uh, i guess last month was in april he did it start of april um instantly so they just they just all went and now the only way to get one of those blue check marks is if you pay him 11 dollars a month um and for that you get subscribed to twitter blue you get a number of other features as well you can post longer videos you can write longer messages um, and you also get promoted more in replies and in the for you feed so if you for example i was looking at something yesterday a piece of disinformation that had been circulated widely for years but if you look at the replies to that you'd have to scroll all the way down all the way down like Dozens and dozens of replies to that tweet before you got one that said, this is, this is a lie. This is not true. Here's the fact check. Whereas all the other previous replies were blue check marks who were agreeing with it and amplifying it. And that's the problem is that people still, I guess, in their head, maybe see blue check marks as some, you know, but it, that, it, that's very quickly being removed. But they may see blue check marks as kind of a sign of yeah. authority and therefore, that just feeds into this cycle and this loop of amplif- both amplifying the disinformation, but also seemingly giving it credence because, oh, look, all these blue check marks have have, you know, said this is true. So it must be true. Obviously, that's that's no longer going to be the case soon because people realize that blue check marks mean nothing except that you're gullible and willing to pay Elon Musk $11 a month for Twitter blue. So. Yeah, That's that's going to that's going to change. But still, it, it just means that it's so much harder now to figure out what's real and what's not on Twitter. And you can no longer basically re- rely on anything that's put up because no disinformation has been taken down at this point.
1: So Musk sort of painted himself as a defender of f- and promoter of free speech when he took over Twitter, um, and I suppose the blue check marks one of the things he points to is almost democratizing that process because, as you said, it was kind of opaque before. But it sounds like it was a slightly uh, more like it was a more useful system before when you had, didn't have to pay. So, do you buy his claims that he's defending free free speech?
2: Um, no. He's Yeah, his his big thing is that he's a free speech absolutist. Um, And that was his big kind of rallying call when he came in and bought Twitter, um, that he was going to return it to this um, bastion of being, you know, a free speech where everything, all opinions are welcome. Uh, Because basically until he had fallen into this belief that there was this anti-conservative bias at Twitter and at all kind of... um, mainstream social media platforms which over and over and over again has been proven to be false and if anything there is a pro conservative bias especially on pl- platforms like um Facebook um which is how Donald Trump ended up being president to
0: to a big degree could sorry could you could you briefly just talk about that pro conservative bias and how that works?
2: for years conservatives have been claiming that they've been shadow banned or they had been um there's are their posts and their content was not being viewed as much as the people on the left because they felt that the people in charge of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube were all left-leaning, democratic, and therefore they, were, they wanted to silence conservative voices. Now, research on this has shown repeatedly that that's not the case. And in fact, on Facebook, research has shown that conservative content was viewed Was in people's feed more than what would be viewed as left-leaning content. We'll say, like the CNN or MSNBC Mm -hmm. in the US, Um, and there wasn't. It's very hard to say that that was on purpose,
1: because.
2: But the reason it was viewed more or seen more was because typically right-wing content people engage with it more because people on the right are much more, willing to kind of keep themselves in this echo chamber of content where they watch fox news on tv and then they'll follow lots of different conservative groups online and right. just keep themselves within that that bubble um so when elon musk came in he kind of was this kind of their knight in shining armor who said that he's gonna rid twitter of this bogus Idea that there was anti-conservative bias and that he was going to be free speech absolutist, and of course, like almost instantly, he 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 proved himself wrong. He like he he banned journalists. Um, he kind of caved into in Turkey when the Turkish government asked him to um, remove uh, certain content from Twitter, or else they would shut the whole thing down. He did. Um, he censored links to other websites, initially Substack, and then he removed that, and then it was Mastodon, and then he removed that, and I think Blue Sky as well, the other alternative that's cropped up. He he, he banned um, links to that briefly as well. Um, he's banned journalists. Um, CNN's um, Donio Sullivan, a fellow Irishman, he was banned. He hasn't come back to the site, and many others in the US he's banned. Um, because he didn't like what they were saying. And he it, it's very similar to if you look at how sites like Parler, which is an alternative right-wing platform that mm. cropped up that kind of gained a bit of momentum in the wake of January 6th when people were banned from Twitter, that called itself a free speech social platform. Right. And Donald Trump's truth social. Um that kind of is it called itself a big tent platform where kind of open, free and honest conversation um, was welcome without and they wouldn't discriminate based on political ideology. So all these platforms are kind of doing the same thing. And, tr- and Musk followed suit. But just like all the rest of them, he showed that he is absolutely not about free speech. He is about promoting one political viewpoint.
1: We've talked quite a lot about like high-level political impacts of Musk taking over Twitter, but what about the safety of the site as an actual online online space to be? In? Like, have we seen an increase in targeted abuse or death threats and that kind of thing since he took over?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is so much hate speech on the site now. Um, like, it's it's incredible, really. To if you just go and do a search for some, some you know, racial slurs or anything like that, you will, you will see people openly using those against other people on the site and they're just left there. They may eventually get taken down, but they're left there for hours, days, weeks sometimes. Um, there are, you know, people are emboldened now to post death threats and then just use the the Musk kind of playbook of saying, Oh, I was just, you know, messing, or it's just trawling or it's just playing around. And it's incredibly dangerous. Lots of people have left the platform because of that. Um, lots of people just don't feel feel safe there anymore. Obviously women have become an even bigger target now because Musk has kind of allowed that to happen. Um, And people are, I think, like, people are still drawn to Twitter because it's kind of a platform where you you can still, there is still some benefit to it for people. I still use it because I still find it beneficial for talking to sources or talking to people who I may not be able to find elsewhere, but increasingly... Mm -hmm. I'm finding that people who maybe I did talk to before are no longer on the platform. And when you do ultimately track them down or talk to them, it's because they've either had a death threat or they've had just an incredible amount of hate speech directed at them. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's a really unsafe platform at the moment and it's not gonna get any better anytime soon.
1: So Ali, over the last couple of weeks for our site, you've been looking into highly protected marine areas. Those are areas of the sea that are going to receive extra protection from the Scottish government in coming years. So can you explain a little bit more about what HPMAs are and why they're controversial?
0: Yeah, so as you say, they are these special areas of Scotland's seas that are going to get the special protective status. Um they're going to be chosen in uh, 2026 when they're going to come in, into force. And the Scottish government expects they'll cover about 10% of Scottish waters. Um, they've been controversial, as you say, in uh, fishing communities and a number of rural communities in Scotland um, because people are concerned about the selection of these areas and the, what impact the restrictions that they're going to be in place in them will have on like fishing communities.
1: So... There's obviously a range of things that are going to be restricted in HPMAs, so can you Mm. explain exactly what those activities are?
0: Yeah, so the big uh, things that have led to controversy is that um, commercial fishing and recreational fishing and aquaculture um, will all be effectively banned in HPMAs. Um, Aquaculture
1: being fish farming, essentially.
0: Yeah, exactly. So fish farming, uh, shellfish, seaweed cultivation, so um, in Scotland that majoritarily would refer to like salmon farming uh, yes. that you'll see off the coast in inland in Scotland. Um, so yeah, that, that will be basically banned in HGAs. Um So that's part of the kind of the whole the plan to stop uh, these areas from being, from the ecosystems of these areas being damaged. It basically gives them a status that effectively kind of makes them equivalent to like national parks. Yeah. Oil and gas, this uh, is a little bit more complicated because of the reserved nature of some oil and gas um, legislation, but the plan would be that this, the Scottish government work with the UK to stop uh, oil and gas exploration taking place in HPMA areas. Um, similarly, new renewables projects won't be allowed in HPMA areas. Other areas which won't be selected for HPMAs include like ports and harbours and areas where military activity will take place regularly.
1: Yeah, I think from what you've described there, there's obviously a lot of competition for space in Scotland's seas um, and that obviously squeezes down the amount of space for fishing, which is one of the things that they're, or these communities are concerned about. Mm. And another thing that seems to have uh, angered a lot of communities is the fact that some activities that you would traditionally associate with tourism are allowed or seem to be expected to be allowed in HPMAs. So what yeah. would they be?
0: So yeah, the, things like uh, recreational, things like boating, uh, jet skis, windsurfing, cruise stops, that sort of, that sort of things, they'll be allowed um, because they, uh, the Scottish government believes they won't have uh, such a negative impact on these areas. Within the legislation, there is a scope to restrict some of these things, depending on how they may start to impact these areas, um, and then possibly licensing. So that would mean that you know, you'd have to have a license if you wanted to do uh you know jet skiing or you want to f- have a cruise ship go yeah. across there or these sort of things um but yeah the, it's fishing and uh, aquaculture the things that are being sort of mainly targeted as being banned in
1: these areas from working on your explainer do you get a sense that there is support within fishing communities for marine protection and why do you think that they're so opposed to these regulations and this legislation what has been so off-putting to them. Do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a probably quite an a important distinction to make. Is that the people who are campaigning against HMASs uh, uh, in uh, Scotland's kind of coastal fishing communities aren't campaigning against any protection for um yeah for uh, marine life. I think what the concern has been is that if you're in a place like Tyree or uh, areas in the Western Isles, if you have found yourself as a fishing community in one of those areas, and then that gets demarked as an HVMA, their concern is that basically your livelihood and then that community will just be completely destroyed overnight. You know, if if, if the area where you fish for your community and have done for years is put into an HVMA, then you can't fish in there, you can't fish there anymore. You know, a lot of these communities are already quite fragile in terms of the numbers of boats and the numbers of people that are keeping the community sustainable. So I think there's a lot of fear in these communities that this policy will sort of drive people out of these communities and destroy them
1: yeah and further population decline which is a as a dynamic that's been happening in those islands and those communities for for a long time as we've written about quite extensively there are some examples of communities enacting marine protection themselves i'm thinking specifically of Lamlash bay on the isle of Arran. so can you explain a wee bit yeah. about what that what that is
0: Yeah, that's a really good example. People have talked about this. Um, Lamlash Bay uh, off Aran, uh, the community there, um, basically campaigned after uh, local divers discovered that intensive fishing had having a really significant impact on the fish populations and the seabed um, for a no-take zone. So that's a phrase you might have heard before. Basically, again, it stops commercial fishing occurring uh, in the area. Um, It's a really small uh, area. It's about 2 just two and a half uh, square kilometers Um, and it's established in 2008 but it seems to have had a a really significant impact on uh, the increasing biodiversity improving the size and density of important species
1: what is the evidence on the effectiveness of hpmas in restoring marine biodiversity and achieving the sort of um conservation goals that the scottish government is is hoping they will
0: there's some evidence to suggest that areas with full protection, fishing populations, uh, which again, no, no take zones that we mentioned before, which is essentially what HVMAs will be, um, do help to improve fish stocks and uh, have helped to uh, increase biodiversity. And um, as you said before, the success of the um, no take zone in Lamlash Bay of Aaron um, has been pointed to by supporters of HVMAs as an example of how well this full protection can work on a small scale. There's currently more than hundred fully protected sites across the globe. And reports have found that, yeah, these have been successful in improving and uh, increasing biodiversity.
1: Welcome to Paul's Curiosity Corner. Newspapers and social media were awash last week with news that the London mayor, Sadiq Khan, had a heart attack during COP26 in Glasgow. So what happened, Ali?
0: Yeah, so this uh, came out last week, as you say, that uh, Mayor London released his new book, which is called Breathe, Tackling the Climate Emergency. And in it, he revealed that he'd had a medical emergency on stage at a COP26 event in Glasgow two years ago, and that doctors had said afterwards that he may have had a heart attack, but they couldn't be sure.
1: Okay, so how is this reported, and why has it been brought to your attention?
0: Yeah. So a number of papers claim that Khan uh, had, you know, this is pretty widely reported, as you might expect, but a number of people reported that Khan had had a cardiac arrest, uh, including GB News, which had its original headline, Sadiq Khan heart attack. London Mayor was was left, quote, barely conscious after cardiac arrest. Um, So there's a couple of things wrong. Uh, with that. Firstly, we don't know for sure whether he had a heart attack, um, but you know, I suppose we can let them off on that front because, uh, you know, it was him himself saying that he'd had a suspected heart attack. Um, But the second thing more importantly is that a cardiac arrest isn't the same as a heart attack. Um, We've written about this before um, during another fact check uh, about a year ago, but a heart attack is basically when one of your coronary arteries, one or more of your coronary coronary arteries gets blocked. Um, and the heart muscle can't get its necessary blood supply, it will begin to die if it's not treated um, because it's not getting enough oxygen. But a cardiac arrest is when your heart starts pumping blood around your body and then you stop breathing normally. Many cardiac arrests in adults are happen after or because of a heart attack, but they're not the same thing.
1: That's good knowledge, but it's, it seems to me like it's a fairly easy mistake to make um, yeah. to use the wrong description of that particular incident. So why is it so important that newspapers and news outlets get that description right? Well,
0: it, we've seen just during the lab, over the last few years that like getting the correct health information is really important, and that even like minor mistakes or then deliberate mischaracterizations, things like health data can be used to cast aspersions on things or cast doubt on the vaccines and the virus itself. Obviously, the these errors are not uh, intending to do that, um, but it's just a sort of general problem that we we sometimes find within uh, the way the media reports on health information is that it's a slightly can be slightly slapdash right. and slightly unspecific and potentially like, uh, you know, a bit too generalized in the way that it reports things. And that, again, which is just can lead to people, particularly in this current day of disinformation, um, reading the wrong thing into things, for example. Um, so even in this case, uh, like there's loads of claims online at the moment that have linked this uh, incident to the COVID-19 vaccine because there's loads of pictures around of Sadiq Khan getting the COVID-19 vaccine, even though there's no evidence of any connection being made. And we know from studies, and we've probably said this a number of times in the podcast, we certainly talked about it on the, um, in various fact checks, that multiple studies have found that the vaccines are safe uh, and there's have not been linked to any increased likelihood of heart attacks that's all we have got time for for this week's episode thanks so much to david for his insights Uh, a damning indictment on the current state of elon musk's twitter Um, but paul if you want to get in touch with us on twitter (laughs) where should they go
1: That's right. If you want to give Elon Musk your eyeballs, you can get us at Ferret Scott on Twitter or we're on Facebook, Instagram. And we're also now uploading full video versions of our interviews for this podcast onto the Ferret's YouTube page. Um, So, yeah, just search for us there on YouTube. We're also all hanging out, uh, all Ferret journalists at all times, on our community page, which is community.theferret.scot.com. Excellent. And
0: if you want to get in touch with me directly, uh, you can factcheck at theferret.scott. And remember to, if you haven't already, give us five stars on whatever wherever you get your podcasts. And then we'll, you know, shoot up to the top of the charts and become hugely rich and famous, which is what this is all about.
1: On that note, see you next time. Bye. Bye.